up with a question that I want you to be thinking about. Are you jealous for God's praise? Are you jealous for God's praise? Are you? What, what, do you, what do you mean, Landon? What do you mean, are you jealous for God's praise? Am, am I asking, do you want God's praise? No, I don't, I'm not asking you if you want the praise deserving of God. What I'm asking you when I say, are you jealous for God's praise? Like, if your kid is at awards day at school, and some other kid does better than them, that bothers you, right? Let's be honest, you're jealous for the praise that falls on someone else other than those who you care for and are yours, right? You get jealous for that kind of praise, right? What, What things do you get jealous over in this world? You see somebody driving a nicer car from you, you get jealous over that. Somebody's got a better house than you, you get jealous over that. Better job, more success, you get jealous over that. I'm asking you, are you jealous for God's praise tonight? Does it concern you that there are places and people who do not praise His name? Does that bother you? It should bother you that there are places that don't praise Him. They're praising other things. They're praising lesser things. Does that not... Should that not drive us crazy that there are places in the world where the things that they have to get jealous over are worthless and petty things? Because they do not know the God we know. Does that concern us? Does it concern us that all peoples and all places are not raising His name in the loudest voices? Does that concern us? It should concern us. It should. We should be jealous over the praise that is belonging to God that He does not get because people have not heard of Him. Because the, the truth of the Gospel has yet to reach them. It should concern us. We should say that is not right. There should not be a place in this world where His name is not lifted higher than all other names. And we should not rest until that moment is today. We should not be able to rest until that moment is today. That there is no place in all of His creation where His name is not lifted on high. How will we do that? How will we see that day? Will we see that day? Will there be a day? Yes, there will. Because He is faithful. And He is working towards that day. And He is calling us to that work. He's calling us to that work. We do not do it separated. We do it together. Which is why for the last couple of sermons, we've been looking at how the Gospel unifies us. How the Gospel brings us together. Because it's not bringing us together so that we by ourselves sing in Kumbaya, but so that the nations will know His name. So that the nations will rise up, praise to the only God, Worthy of praise. And we should not be able to rest knowing that that's not the case today. 
that there are people who will die today that have never heard the name, the only name that we can find hope in, the only name deserving of praise. Are you jealous for the praise of God? Do you want the praise due Him to be raised up to Him? You should. You should. Let's open in prayer as we dig into the Scriptures tonight. Lord, I thank You again for who You are, for what You've done. Lord, we, an unworthy people, uh, You have blessed us to be able to raise praise to You. I thank You for that. I'm humbled by that, that I can that I can speak a name so holy and not be stricken down because, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips that You have reached out and touched us. And by Your grace and by Your mercy, You've made us clean and You're continuing to work in us. I pray that, I pray that You would work in us, that we would be a bold generation. Lord, that we would be the generation that completes this work of all peoples. Lord, when it looks like everything's falling down around us, when it looks like nations and men are falling deeper and deeper into sin, let us hold fast to the truth that you have been there as nations have fallen away. And you will remain. Lord, as we continue in Your Word tonight, I pray that You would, by Your Holy Spirit, continue to move. Continue to stir. Rise up. Raise up a church that would be willing to do Your work. That would be jealous over Your praise. You are deserving of all glory and honor and praise. May it be given to You. May it be given to the Lamb who was slain. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So just for a review, I'm going to review over kind of the big ideas that we've looked at over the last three sermons, and then we're going to kind of jump in off of this. And the reason that I'm going to do this is because it is following in naturally into this. I, I, that's why I say that, that Paul has here been positioning through the latter half of the book of Romans, the practical outplaying of the gospel in the lives of believers. And now for the last three sermons, we've been looking at how he's been showing us that one of the most critical aspects, one of the most practical ways that the gospel plays out in our lives is it unifies his people together. People of different income statuses, people of different success levels, People from different parts of the world. People from different tongues. People. He brings us together, unifies us in Christ. And this is how the gospel most practically plays out in us. And, and again, I will say, it is not just so that we will sit here and do nothing and be happy in one another's company. Though that is important. He does it because we are strong together. Together we can do this mission that He's called us to. That He is calling us even today towards. So the big ideas that have come out of the ones leading up to this. The gospel of Christ and our shared faith in Christ alone for salvation unifies us by God's grace and allows us to show grace to one another as we differ in our understandings of secondary and tertiary issues that pertain to Christian living. 
The gospel of Christ frees us from our sinful and destructive pursuits often centered around self-gratification and directs us to live lives that pursue peace and the edification of others. With Christ as our example, we must not live to please ourselves, but instead we must live to build up others. To be in accord with Christ, we must be in harmony with one another, so that with one voice we may glorify God. With how many voices, church? With one voice. And I'm going to start reading in... We're going to be, the focus of our, of our scripture study tonight is going to be verses 8 through 13 of chapter 15. But because this flows, the flow of thought that we're going to see in verse 8, it starts like this, For I tell you that Christ became, and he's leading out of an idea that he started earlier in this chapter, and I want us not to miss that because we're starting in the middle of this chapter. So verse 15, 1, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves, to let uh, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So what does the Scriptures do? It instructs us, it encourages us, it leads us into hope. Continuing on, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you, and this is the new text tonight, for I tell you, and this is leading out of the ideas of, of those who are strong having an obligation, this idea of servanthood or being a servant to our brothers and sisters, bringing about unity in the church. This is kind of the idea that he's leading into here in verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Now, when I say Gentiles, when, when Scripture says Gentiles, and I want us to, to, to consider this and point this out before we start digging in deeper into this text, right? If you were to go back in the, in, in the verses that we're going to see continuing on in this text where it says Gentiles, Gentiles, if you were to be in the ESV and you were to flip back in the Old Testament where Paul is referencing these from, you're going to see the word used, nations, right? So what is, when we see Gentiles in Scripture, what is that referring to, right? Is that referring to a people group like the Jews? It's everyone else, yes, right? So that's everybody else. So the Jews, when we say the Jews and the Gentiles, who are we including there? Who are we excluding there? No one. So when we use the word Gentiles, or when we see Paul using the word Gentiles here, he's meaning the nations. He's meaning all people. Right? Yes, yes. So the Jews are clearly, yeah, so the Jews are clearly included there. Yeah, so the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Christ came for the Jews and the Gentiles, right? So this idea that it's not just for us here in Alabama, but it's for those people that you've got nothing in common with in a country that you would have to learn their language 
to speak to them. It's everyone. Right? So this hope of the gospel is for everyone. Right? So when we start hitting down in here where we see, therefore, praise you among, my version ESV is going to say Gentiles. If I were to flip back to that reference in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, mine's going to say nations. Right? So when I, when you hear me say Gentiles, that's nations. Right? What the idea here is, is that the gospel coming onto the scene, the hope is not for one select group, but for everyone. Right? That the gospel is making its way to all nations. It was presented first to who? The Jews. Christ Himself presenting this gospel to His people. And then it's now moving out to the nations. Right? So the gospel is for the nations. Right? So when I, when you hear Gentiles, a lot of times we just, we'll throw that word around with Gentiles and, and I know myself, I, sometimes I get in the trap of kind of thinking, well, Gentiles, that's just a specific group of people. Maybe that's the Romans or maybe that's the Greeks or something like that. When he uses the word Gentiles, the, the context that he's using it here is all nations. Right? All nations. And if you look through the Old Testament, you'll see the references that are made here later on is is all nations. So this idea that he's saying now that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's to the Jews, right? He became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness. So we, here's 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 where he's kind of tying this in, and he's referencing Christ in all of this. He's saying, be unified, be unified together. And he's using Christ as the example for all of this. Right here again, he's using Christ as, as the example for us. So I want us to to think: What is he implying here? What is he trying to tell us when he's when he's telling us these things? And he's using Christ as this example. So he says, "For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to go show God's truthfulness." What is what is Christ coming onto the scene to do? To show what God had promised to be true. And he's showing this to the, to the Jews. Who were the promises made to? The Jews. He's coming. Christ is coming. Fulfilling the promises to the Jews. So when we act in, in servanthood like Christ acted in servanthood, we are continuing this idea of showing God's truthfulness. Because when the world looks at us and we're speaking one way and acting amongst ourselves another way, are we speaking the truthfulness of God in our actions? No. No. Yet when we practice what we preach, when we are unified amongst one another, what does that tell to them? When, when people from different backgrounds, from different socioeconomical statuses can come together as one people, what is that telling them? It's speaking to the truthfulness of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. When we, as Christ is as our example, live out in a servant-like manner amongst one another, becoming unified, not thinking too highly of ourselves, considering one another above ourselves, When we live in this way that unifies us together, we're showing God's truthfulness and we're showing that He has made promises that He is confirming in us. Because you don't live that way outside of God's working in you. Right? Do y'all get that? That God's made a promise to change us, to make us a people. 
And that that does not happen outside of His working in us. So when it does happen, when it does begin to work within us, when we are unified, though we're diversified, what does the world see? Something strange to them that only happens if God is at work within us. And, verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles, and who's he speaking to here? Everyone outside the original promises there, everyone outside of that, the nations, right? And in order that the nations might glorify God for His mercy. Why is it important that we, the church, are unified? To glorify God. To who? To everyone. To the nations. Does it concern you when we become so caught up in petty, unimportant bickerings amongst ourselves that we become ineffective as a people and nations do not hear because we do not go? Because we concern ourselves more with the here and now, more with the comforts of this world, than we do with the lost, than we do with those who have not heard. Do we believe, and and I don't, do we believe that God could send someone from Cordova, Alabama to those places that have never heard? Do we believe that? Do Do we really believe that though? Do we? I want to ask, I want, is it too big for us? Is, is that something too big for us, church? There are places that have never heard God's Word. Not because no one's bumped into them at Walmart or knocked on their door, but because there is no one there preaching the Gospel at all. Could we... Go there. It's hostile there. Do you, under, do you understand that? That most of the places that are like that now are hostile to the message that we preach. Can we go there? Who, who, will, who will go there? Who, who will go? I want us to... I want us to think about that. Are you concerned with the praise of God among the nations? Does it truly concern you? Are you even concerned about your family? Right? Are we concerned that there are places where He is yet to be praised? That there are children who will apart from God's working and drawing in the heart of men and women who have heard and sent and go to those places that they will grow up, live, die, worshiping everything else under the sun, never having hope for the gospel because the gospel is not preached there. Does it concern us? Is it too big for us? Right? Is it because, we, and, we, and a lot of times we'll say, no, it's not too big for us. 
But then when we really think about what's involved in that, it's not too big for us, but somebody else is going to have to do it. Amen? Right? Can I get an amen from somebody in here that it better be somebody else that he sends on mission? Because I sure enough ain't going to a place that they're going to chop my head off, right? Like, that's what with that. It's all good when you're trying to get a pet rally going on. When you're, when you're saying, who's going to go? Not often do you get any volunteers. Are we concerned, church? And if you were just honest and said, I'm not right now concerned, then I'm going to preach something that's going to convict you so that you are. We should be concerned. But honestly, honestly, and I know I'm not going to get a whole lot of amens from this, we're not. Because more than likely, you're concerned with what you're going to do this week, where you're going to go. You're concerned about getting money so that you can get those things that you're jealous over. Right? We're going to put our efforts into those things. Church, vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. Those things are fading away. Those things are fading away. In a hundred years, who of us will be sitting here? If you think you're going to be sitting here in a hundred years, there's some kids here and maybe some medical advances take place that they can make it close to that. But in all likelihood... A hundred years from now, everything that we bought, everything that we chased after, everything that we were jealous over has faded away into nothingness. And we've wasted our lives chasing after those things, jealous over those things, instead of concerning ourselves with the praise of the one that we will be standing in front of in less time than that. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol Him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, and he who arises to rule the Gentiles, the nations. In Him will the Gentiles, the nations, hope. Is this going to fail to occur? Could it fail to occur? From what we've studied throughout the book of Romans, from what we know about the giant, enormous, huge, very great, big, sovereign God that we serve, can this fail to come about. Could you fail to take part? Will everyone who is in the church fail to take part? Because what if we did? Can God's word fail? No. So you will go. You will raise his name in praise to the nations. Because He will raise us up. Like that's the hope. He has come. Christ has come. And He is sending. And He continues to send. And when we stand here, or when we go into classes and we teach, 
And sometimes it feels like it falls on deaf ears. Let us reflect back on this. That he does not speak in ifs and and maybes. But he speaks in certainties. And he did this throughout the Old Testament. And that's what Paul's quoting from here. He's quoting from 2 Samuel chapter 22. He's quoting from Psalm 18. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Psalm 117, Isaiah 11. He's quoting every passage of text where he's telling us that the nations will praise is an Old Testament truth. Will the nations praise him? Will the nations praise him? So Paul is writing all of this, right? Paul is writing all of this. He's writing this letter up to this point because he's planning on coming to them and he's planning on them sending him. So here's what I want, us, I want us to be thinking about as we kind of wrap up, as we continue wrapping up the book of Romans. I want us to be thinking seriously about why we're here in the building, right? While we're here in the church, what is it that this is all about? Is it about you feeling good or getting over the guilt of the things that you've done in your past? Or have you been called into something much greater than you. See, when we start thinking about church as something that's about just me, and it's a me-centered focus, then how easy it is for us to get upset and get our feelings hurt and us just walk away from the whole thing. Christ came for you. Don't get me wrong. Right? Like, you're important to Him. Don't get me wrong. But we don't do this just for you. Right? Do y'all get that? That we don't get, we don't do this just for us. Do y'all get that when you raise up a voice of praise, when we stand here shortly and you praise God that you are joining with the choir of people that you have never seen, that you have never known, that are raising up voices to God, that God's drawing out of them as He's drawing out of us, men and women who will go to those who are not yet raising praise to His name. Do you get that church is bigger than what we've made it into? That you're a part of something enormous. That it just makes me sick if you say, well, I got my feelings hurt and I'm going to walk away. Like you don't get what it's about apparently. You don't see the significance or the importance of what He's doing among us apparently. You're worried about so many other things that it would tear you apart. Do you know the Gospel? Because the Gospel unifies the believers together. Do you know the Gospel? Church, you've been presented the Gospel. If you've got one of these books, it's there. Please open it, review, study. The gospel unifies us with purpose and meaning. And it ain't about our feelings getting hurt. Like, when I think about that, 
when I think about that church, I think about how many people could have been saved because we went, but they were not because we bickered instead. Right? How many could we reach if we tried? Are we trying? Are we trying? Are you trying? Does it concern you at all that you might be sitting on the sidelines in this big work that God is doing, that He is calling us to? Does that concern you at all? Does the praise of God concern you as it is written? And we're going to read that again. Therefore, I will praise you among the nations and sing your name. Again, it is said, rejoice, O nations, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all nations, and let all peoples extol Him. Again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even those who arise to rule the nations. In Him, the nations hope. May the God of hope, the God of hope, church. What does the gospel reveal to us? Is there another God of hope other than the God that we serve? So if they do not have Him, what are they? Hopeless and lost. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Do you abound in hope this afternoon? Would you classify your life as a life that is hopeful this afternoon? I, pr- I pray that each and every one of us does. I pray that we look at our lives and even though we fail, even though we mess up so often that we are hopeful because we know who God is, We know that He is at work within us. That He will finish this work. And then I hope that as we pray, as we praise Him, we cannot get out of the back of our minds that there are those who don't. So that as we rejoice in our hope, that it draws us out and sends us to those who do not have hope.